welcome to the UNT BSM audio resources. If you want more information on the BSM, you can go to untbsm.com. Thanks for listening. As I said earlier in the announcements, that's on page 568 in the white BSM Bibles. Um, Just to help you, if you're not familiar with the Bible, let me explain how it works. So we have an Old Testament and a New Testament. Ephesians is in the New Testament. And when you look at it on that page, 568, you'll see a big number. That's the number number one. That's the chapter number. And you'll see some smaller numbers, and those are the verse numbers. And what you'll do throughout tonight, you're going to hear me call out a couple different verses. That way you know exactly where it is you need to go. If you have questions, talk to the person next to you. Uh, They would love to help you um, figure out the Bible as we walk our way through this text. So two weeks ago, I kind of introduced us into our series for this semester, which is called This is How We Live. Then last week, a friend of ours, Morgan Malone, came in, and he taught on the first 14 verses. I didn't get to be here with you. I was actually out with the flu last week. And so for my sake and for anyone who wasn't here, I'm going to kind of highlight a couple of things that the text covered to kind of set us up for where we're going to go tonight. Does that sound good? Okay, so if you're unfamiliar with this book, it's called Ephesians. It was written by Paul to the church in Ephesus. Now, it's important for you to understand a couple things about Paul before we get started. First off, Paul, he calls himself a Jew of all Jews. He was someone who believed that Christians were heretics. And so what did he do? He literally spent his, the first part of his life, his adult life, literally going and killing and persecuting Christians. And then he meets Jesus. God shows up on the road to Damascus in the book of Acts. We get to read about it and literally changes everything in his life. He, I can't even imagine, just literally God showing up right there. And he meets Jesus and everything about his life changes. I don't have time to tell the whole story. You can look it up in the book of Acts. And what we see is we see Paul go from being a persecutor, a killer of Christians, to now becoming a pastor of Christians. He is going and he's planting churches. He's starting new churches, one of which is this church in Ephesus that he's writing this letter to. And what we see uh, in this book of Ephesians, it's six chapters long. And what we see is really kind of it's split into two sections. The first section, verses, or chapters 1 through 3, really help answer this question. And it is, how are we saved in light of how we lived? And so what we're going to get at in these first three chapters is this. We are dead in our sins, but we can be made alive in Christ. These first three chapters are really deep, heavy doctrine and theology, so much so that we're going to wrestle with it. We're not going to like everything that we read. In fact, some of our conversations and growth in our connect groups and growth groups might be a little difficult to have, but that's good. It's good for us to press into the text. It's good for us to try to say, what is it that this is saying, and for us to talk about it together. And so that's what we're going to be doing for these first three chapters. Then we get into the last three, so chapters four through six, and the question we're going to be answering is this, how do we live in light of how we're saved? So, because we've been made alive in Christ, as a Christian, this is how we live. So we're going to see it's very practical, and it's very um, helpful when it comes to application. 
So tonight, and as we did last week, and as we, until we get through chapter 4, or chapter 3, we're going to be a- answering that one question of how are we saved in light of how we lived. So last week, the point of the text in the first 14 verses of chapter 1 is this. God loves us, and he has blessed us in his son, Jesus. So one of the things that we are doing, specifically this semester, if you look on the little handout, on the back you'll see what we call the GOLSA guide. GOLSA literally stands for five questions. What does this text say about us? What does this text say, sorry, what does it say about God? What does it say about us? What do I like? How do I summarize? And how do I apply it? And so during our Crave lessons this semester, we're going to be answering what does it say about God and what does it say about us? And then when you go to your connect groups, you'll be talking about the rest of those questions, and your leaders will have some other uh, application questions for you as well. So what I want to do is I want to highlight what the text said about God and about us from last week, and then we're going to move into everything else. You tracking with me? Sound good? Okay. So in the first part of chapter 1, here's what we learned about God. We learned about Christ's eternality. What that means is that God is outside of time, And he is all-knowing, all-powerful, and does all things according to his will. We also learned that he is a big, sovereign God. Now, I want to define sovereign to you. So here's what the, the, the dictionary actually says. It says this, sovereign means a supreme ruler possessing supreme and ultimate power. So as I was thinking through sovereignty and trying to think through, okay, what does this even mean when I think about God being sovereign it means that he knows everything. He is um, he's aware of what's happening. He understands things that I don't myself understand. And as I was thinking through it, this picture of a stained glass window came into mind. How many of you have seen a stained glass window before? Okay, we're going to put up this picture, this first one. And so this is a picture of, that's taken up really, really close to a stained glass window, right? So if you were to walk up next to a stained glass window and you were this close, Do you think you have any idea what the actual picture is? No. So when I first started in ministry, for three years, I served on staff at a church just south of Fort Worth. And in the sanctuary, I loved this sanctuary. In fact, I would go in during the day when I needed a break from work, and I would just go sit in the sanctuary and play music on the piano and look at these windows as the light was coming in. It was just a very holy place to me. But I remember as I'm walking down one side of the sanctuary, I was right up next to those windows. And I would notice, I'm like, I'm not even getting the full picture. But if I would turn and look at the other side, I got to see the story that those pictures, each window told a different story. And so I think oftentimes when we think about God, we think that our up-close picture of the stained glass window, when it is right here, is what God sees as well. So let's look at this next picture. So it's also an up-close picture. And when you look at it, so you can see a little bit more. You know that there's some circles and there's some other shapes. But do you have any idea what the full picture is just from that? No. And you see, I think it's important for us to realize that this is what it means for us. And let's go to the last picture. So this is what that one actually, so when you step back, you get to see what it was that the artist was actually doing, right? And so when I think about God's sovereignty, I think it's really important for us to understand. All I understand is the here and now, this moment in time, and what I've experienced, right? 
And so what I'm looking at is an up-close picture of this, of this stained glass window. And over time, as I grow in my relationship with the Lord, and as I grow in my understanding of him, we're going to get to this in the text. It's like I get to take a small step back, and then I get to take another step back. But what I think is important when we think about who God is and the way he's moving and working in this, in this world, we need to remember that he is a big, sovereign God. We're not going to understand everything that he is. And so we wrestle. We try to grow. We try to understand. We pray for him to reveal himself to us. But we remember that on this side of heaven, there are always going to be things that we're going to wrestle with, and that's okay. So we learned that God was a big and sovereign God. We also know from last week that he provides redemption through Christ. And lastly, we learned that God initiates and accomplishes reconciliation. So literally, he is initiating a relationship with us. So that's what we learned about God last week. And here's what we learn about us as people. We know that if God sent Jesus to ransom, to redeem us, that that must mean that we need redemption. So we have the opportunity to be ransomed from captivity of our sin and brokenness. So it's important for us to know that as people, as humans, we are broken and we are sinful, and that there's something wrong that Jesus came to fix. That's the good news of the gospel, that Jesus came to fix it, and that apart from Christ, we literally are dead in our sin. We can't, what that means is we can't fix ourselves. I'm a perfectionist. I want to fix myself. I want to figure out, okay, what's wrong here? How do I make it better? We literally call it, how do we, like, white-knuckling it? Does that make sense? You're holding on to the steering wheel. You're in control. Oftentimes, that's how I want to pursue, like, what it looks like for me to become more like Jesus. But here's the thing we have to understand. I can't fix myself. I can't modify my behavior in such a way that I can clean myself up enough to come before God and to say, I'm good enough now that you can love me. So now you can love me. It's not up to me. That's what we learned. That's why Jesus came. Because we can't fix it ourselves. We need Jesus to come. And only the Spirit, we're going to talk about this tonight, can make us more like Christ. Okay? So that's what we talked about last week. Or at least that's what the text is. I wasn't here. I didn't get to hear the whole lesson. But hopefully that's what he talked about. So tonight we're going to move on into the rest of chapter 1. And so the theme of tonight's passage, I'm going to give you like a real heavy sentence and we're going to work our way through it, is this. Christ's earthly work of redemption was part of his cosmic reconciliation and exaltation in this age and next. You got that? Big sentence, right? But you know what? At the end of tonight, you're going to get it. Sound good? All right. All right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the text, the whole thing, and then we're going to walk our way through, and I'm going to pull us, point us back to a few verses. So let's start in verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, and that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, 
according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Here's the crazy thing. That, what I just read, in the Greek is one sentence. Can you imagine? Think about how excited Paul was. He just wants to fit it all into one sentence. And he did that in the first 14 verses, too. That was all one big sentence, too. The Greek, let me tell you, it's hard stuff. Um, so here, let's walk through it. In verse 15, we literally are seeing, he starts off with, for this reason. Anytime we see a phrase like that, for this reason, or because, or therefore, what do we do? We want to look and see, okay, what's a therefore, right? So he's saying, for this reason, because of that, we need to go back and remember, what did he just say? What was in that first sentence, that first really long sentence? He's saying, remember what I just said, because what I'm about to talk about it even more. So we see, for this reason, and he's saying, because Christ has reconciled us to himself, and you are adopted children of God. Because you've been brought into the family, now I want you to, because, remember, that's what I just told you in the first 14 verses. So because of that, this is what it means for you now. That's what he's saying. You got it? Okay, so he goes in and he says in verse 16, he says, I do not cease in my prayers for you. Right there, we get to see his love for this church. He says, I don't cease in my prayers. And he, we see he loves them. He knows this church. He helped start this church. And he literally is saying to them, because of all that God has done in your life, and I know what he's done because I've lived your life with you, here is my prayer for you. So let's look at verse 17. It says this, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. So in verse 17, he's literally saying, the God of our Lord Jesus, may he give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. He's saying, may he help you know him. I want us to look. We're going to put on the screen second, or 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 12. I'm going to read it out loud, and you can follow along. This is going to help us better understand what does he mean when he says spirit of wisdom. So let's read this. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Okay, here's what he's saying to them. He's like, listen, what I'm about to tell you is not of this earth. Your own religious leaders didn't get it. They killed Jesus. What I'm telling you is, listen, this is from God. So pay attention. This is not just of earthly wisdom. Let's keep going. Verse 9, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received the Spirit of the world, 
but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So he's literally saying, once again, this Holy Spirit that God sends to us, that's what helps us understand God's wisdom. That's what helps us understand and to grow and to look more like Jesus. And so remember, he's praying that the spirit of wisdom is going to reveal God to them. And let's go on in verse 18 and 19. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the work of his great might. So what we're seeing in those verses is Paul is literally praying that these believers, these Christians, will comprehend. He's saying, may the eyes of your hearts be enlightened. He's saying, may you comprehend, may you understand the blessings that are yours because of Jesus Christ. He's saying, I pray that the Spirit would help you to understand. And he goes on and he starts to talk about hope. Hope, I think, is one of those words that we know because we've heard it, but when we think about it, what it actually means, I don't know if we really know it. So I want to put the definition up on the screen. So here's what hope is. Hope is a looking forward to and confident expectation. He is literally saying, I pray that you would know that your hope, what you have to look forward to with confident expectation is eternity with Jesus. It's like, I pray that you would know that that is your hope. Friends, if you've been around the BSM for the last three, four years, you've heard me talk about everything that's gone on in my life. So the easiest way for me to describe this without going into a lot of detail is my family basically blew up. And what I've had to do is I've had to figure out, okay, what is my security? What is the thing that is going to help me walk through this? When I almost lost my brother multiple times, when I almost lost my dad, I had to start to wrestle with what makes me feel secure? Who am I? And I started to realize on the night that I got a phone call and I thought that I, was, that I could have lost my dad that night, I realized that what was really going on in my heart was this fear of, well, if I lose my dad and something happens in my life, who's going to take care of me? And so I had to walk through and figure out what does that even mean. And what I realized is I was putting my hope and my security and my stability into my family instead of trusting it with the Lord. And you see, here's what he's saying. Everything in this world is going to disappoint you. It's going to fail you. And the only place where we can find true hope is in Jesus Christ. And what that means is this. No matter what this world may offer to you, Jesus is better. No matter what this world may have for you, good things, a degree, a job, family, friends, relationships, Jesus is better, and that is your hope. Friends, I've walked it, and I can stand on this side of you and say, in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of, midst of trauma and crisis, Jesus sustains. So where are you placing your hope? Up until I reached, I'm 37 now. Like I said, this has been going on for about three or four years. I didn't have to really answer this question until then. Do I wish that none of this had happened in my life? Absolutely. 
But I stand on this side and I tell you this, that because of what I have walked through, I have seen God walk with me. I know without a shadow of doubt that I am not alone, that he is literally right there in the midst of my pain, my tears, and hospital rooms. That's what Paul's saying. May you know, may God, may the spirit of wisdom come and help you to know Jesus is our hope. He is our salvation. He is the one that ransoms us, brings us into the family of God. And he's saying, this is my prayer, that you will know this, that God would reveal this to you. Because here's the thing. The only way we understand more about God is through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's his prayer. I think that's what we should be praying to, that the Spirit would come and enlighten our hearts and to help us to better understand. But here's this, the next cool thing that's in this verse. So what we see also in verse 18 is not only do we get God and that's our hope, but he goes on and he talks about this. He says, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. What he's writing about is this. God cannot wait to spend eternity with his children. So not only do we get to place our hope there, but God cannot wait to get to spend that time with us. And so I think it's important for us to understand he's talking about our hope, but also we get to see God's love for us, that he delights in us. Have you ever thought about God delighting in you? Let's, let's cover this up. Everyone's reading it. We're not there yet. Let's put it back on the Ephesians screen, just the blank one or whatever. You can't get the, the notes before I get there. So, okay, perfect. All right, so let's continue. We're going to go back to verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, under Jesus' feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. So he's starting off and saying, the reason we get to have hope is because of all the great works that Jesus has done. And he's saying, listen, Christ trumps all authorities. Everything has been placed under his rule and what we see is Paul's going back and he's quoting Psalms 8, 6, which says this, You have given him dominion over the works of your hands, so over all creation. You have put all things under his feet. So what Paul is doing, he's pointing them back. Remember who Jesus is. He is preeminent. He is Lord. He is God. And because of who he is and what he has done, you can put your hope there. And then we come out to how he closes this section. And he says, and he put all things under his feet, in verse 22, and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So literally we're seeing that Christ has identified himself with the church, with the Christians, and that it is literally his very body. So here's what this means, Christians. The church, Big C Church, all the Christians in the world, we are filled by Christ. And we are then meant to fill all of creation 
as his representatives. So we literally, as a Christian, are given the opportunity to go and represent Christ. So here's what this practically means for us. Remember how he's praying, may you grow and further understand who God is and what that means for your life. May your heart be enlightened. May you understand the hope you have. May you understand that Jesus is Lord and all that he has done. But that's not meant just for you. He said, you get to go represent me. You get to go tell everybody that is outside this door about your hope. He said, you get to represent me as my body. You get to go. So, what does that mean for us? Here at the BSM, we have uh, something called BSM Attitudes. There are 10 statements that we use with our BSM leaders that really kind of help us further understand what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, not only in the BSM, but really for life. And one of those is an ambassador of reconciliation. So an ambassador is someone who has been uniquely commissioned, qualified, and called to represent somebody. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, as a Christian, you are my ambassador And we say ambassadors of reconciliation. And what that means is we get to go and tell others about how Jesus wants to draw them in to a right relationship with God. And so, Christians, have you thought about where your hope is? And have you thought about the 35,000 students that are on that campus that don't know? That's what we want to do. As we grow in our wisdom, obedience should grow too. And that means that we, as we're further, as we're growing in our understanding of the gospel, that means that we're also growing in our obedience to tell other people. So every Monday we do a quip. Landon right here teaches it, does a fabulous job. Because we want to help you grow. We want to partner with what the Spirit is doing so that you can grow in your wisdom. And then at 1 o'clock we go out onto this campus and we use those tools that I talked about We do other things. Sometimes we just go up and try to start a conversation. And it doesn't just have to happen on Mondays at 1. We have other groups that go out throughout the week. Just talk to a staff member. We will find someone to help you go do this. Here's the thing. We want to give you opportunities to get reps. Because you get, it becomes easier to share the gospel the more times you try. Does that make sense? It's like muscle memory. And so we call it evangelism t-ball. We want to keep putting the ball on the tee and just let you keep swinging. So I want to challenge you, Christian. Where's your hope? Do you believe in that enough to know that you want everybody else that doesn't have it to hear about it too? Because we get to represent Christ and to do that. So to end, what does this say? The theme question for tonight is how are we saved in light of how we've lived We're saved through God revealing himself to us, not through our works, but in spite of our works. And so what does this passage teach us about God? Now we can put it up there. Okay, so here's what the passage. If you take notes, here's when you want to start writing on your little sheet. Um, So what does the text say about God? That God provides wisdom. Also that Christ is our hope. And that God is looking forward to eternity with us. And that Christ trumps all competing authorities and is head over all things. That he is preeminent 
as Lord. So that's what this text tells us about God. And so now let's look at what is this text, and your connect group leaders has this list if you didn't get it all written down. So what does this text tell us about us as people? First off, we cannot understand a God apart from him revealing himself to us. And I think it's important for you to understand. I grew up in church, so I always make the joke that I've been in church nine months before I was born. Like, I don't remember a time when I haven't been in church, okay? So, I, when I uh, graduated college at 22, I then went straight into seminary and got a Master's of Divinity, which is just a really fancy way of saying a theology degree. And so I spent three and a half years studying the Bible, studying church history, systematic theology, and all of those things. And when I went in for my first class, I remember walking into New Testament 1, which is a study of the Gospels. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books in the New Testament, and the book of Acts. So the first five books. And like I said, I grew up in church. I literally thought, okay, this shouldn't be that hard. That's why I chose it as my first class when I got into seminary. So I'm sitting in there, and in walks the professor, the short, stocky man named Dr. Corley. I had no idea that I shouldn't have taken his class. And he walks in, and he sets this big box on the table, and he takes out an inch-thick, shrink-wrapped package, and he starts to put it on every single desk. And he sets it down in front of me, because I was sitting in the back, like every good Baptist does. <laughs> and it said, syllabus. Did you hear me when I said it was an inch-thick, shrink-wrapped with cardboard on the bottom? And that was my syllabus for my first class, New Testament 1, which I thought would be easy. And in that moment, I literally said, what am I doing here? And I thought about walking out. But I thought, maybe it won't be that bad. Pull out my notebook, set it on the table, and I start to take notes. And if you look at a picture, a piece of notebook paper, you know how you have the columns on the side that no one really knows what to do with? And if you're type A like me, you don't write in them. You stay within the lines. So I'm taking notes. And he keeps saying all these words I've never heard of before. And what do I do? I start using that column to write down all the words. I'm guessing at how to spell them. Omnipotent, omnipotence, omniscience, all these words. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what those mean. And at the end of class, I'm looking at my one-inch shrink-wrapped syllabus. I'm looking at my notes, of which the column of I don't know words was far longer than my actual notes for the class that week. And in that moment, it was like the Lord said, do you get it now? I went into seminary thinking, 22 years, I got this. I know who God is. I know what the Bible says. And in that moment, God said, you don't even understand. I'm so much bigger than you can imagine. And I make the joke often that when I graduated seminary three and a half years later, that I graduated realizing I knew less than I thought I did when I went in. Does that make sense? And so, friends, I tell you this. If you have my story and you grew up in church and you think you know everything, I promise you that that God that you think you know is not nearly big enough. And so when we dive into these texts and we're trying to learn, we need to be praying that the Spirit would reveal truth. Because there's so much more there. There's so much more to who he is that we need the Spirit to reveal to us. 
And so apart from God revealing himself, we're lost. And so, next, we need hope, which can only come from Christ. And that hope is our inheritance, salvation, that we get to spend eternity with God. And lastly, Christians, the church, we must fill creation as representatives of Christ. We take the hope that we have and we tell others about it. So friends in here that you're saying, okay, someone invited me. I don't know what I think about Jesus. I don't know what I believe. Or maybe you've never heard some of this before. That's okay. That's why we have connect groups. It's a place for you to ask questions. If you're not comfortable doing it in a group, let your leader know. A staff member would love to talk with you. But I want to ask you this. Where's your hope? My hope is in Jesus. Where's your hope? You're going to finish out the rest of the Gulsa Guide when we go to your groups. Please ask questions if you have them. And if that's something your group just can't figure out, come let a staff member know. We would love to dive into it with you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we have a hope that is far greater than anything that this world could provide. I'm so thankful to know, God, that it's not up to me to fix myself. That you sent Jesus to die a death that was meant for me. God, so that I could be adopted and so that I could become your child. I'm thankful that you initiated that relationship with me. And God, I pray that your spirit would reveal more of you every time I open up the Bible when I have a conversation, when I'm walking around. God, that the Spirit would continue to reveal more of you. And God, I pray that not only do I want to grow as your follower, as your disciple, but that I also want to grow as an evangelist, as your ambassador. It amazes me that you use us to tell other people about you. You literally are saying, come out and play. Watch me work. And I pray, Lord, that we would not only be available, we'd be looking for opportunities, and we would be obedient to be your representatives. And we do it because of who Jesus is and that he is our hope. I pray that our conversations and connect groups will stir our affections for you, would remind us more of who you are, and that your spirit would move. And God, I pray for students that are here saying, I'm still trying to figure out faith, that tonight would be a time, God, when they can ask questions. And most importantly, God, I pray that you would initiate a relationship with them tonight. It's in your name, your son's name that we pray. Amen. Okay, you're dismissed to your groups.